The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as many of you have noticed, the students are back in town. The corner is buzzing with excitement and anticipation. The yellow school buses are out making their morning rounds. Class is open. Charlottesville feels like its young, optimistic self again. And I have gout. That's right. You don't need to feel sorry for me. Don't tell me you feel sorry for me after the sermon. I'm fine. But I'm only 32, and I've got gout. That sweet inflammation once reserved for the wealthy, gluttonous, rotund kings of old, but now people like me get to enjoy it. It's true. And of course, I haven't had it in a long time, but this past week, it came back of course, during the week when my family and I were moving. And so I was out there hobbling around, hanging my head with frustration and a bit of embarrassment. And if you ask my wife, I probably wasn't the most pleasant person to be around for a few days. But I don't know about you, but when I'm in pain or I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling stressed or uncertain or scared about anything, I have a tendency to go into myself. I get impatient, and my body can begin to feel tense, like it's not my own for a bit, like I'm bound up in some way that I can't see my own way out of. I imagine that a lot of you can relate to this in one way or another, or at least I know that many of you have felt frustrated or in pain or scared about something in your life that seems to have a tighter grip on your life than you do yourself. We all know what it feels like to be angry or to just feel spent or to need a break or to need some release. In today's passage from Luke, there's a woman who's felt this way for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight, Luke writes. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. Luke tells us that she's in pain, that she's bent over, that she didn't journey to see Jesus intentionally, but instead she just sort of stumbled in, and that her all-consuming pain and curved inward view of the world is being led by a spirit, 
not by her, that she's not behind the wheel of her own life. Either emotionally or physically, we've all experienced something that reminds us of this, of being bent inward, of needing to escape or needing some time alone. That sometimes if we're not careful, over time these blinders that we create can become normalized in our lives. And then we have a tendency to become a little bit bitter, to become a little bit jaded, and sometimes even a little bit self-righteous. We can remain stuck in our own little world in these circumstances with little regard for God or little regard for anyone else around us. And looking downward, turning towards ourselves and coming up empty time after time, it can make us feel invisible. It can make us feel hopeless. It can make us feel some really serious despair. In a recent study, a couple of Princeton professors Uh, published a few years ago, the phrase deaths of despair was coined. It refers to deaths that are caused from drug overdoses, alcohol-related incidents, and suicides that have hit a record high between 2005 and 2017. The study says that there's so little hope and so little understanding of mercy and grace and redemption at times in our country that according to this study that entire generations are giving up. They're turning into themselves and turning to drugs of despair, resulting in actual life expectancy rates shortening, in some cases for the first time in a very, very long time. No matter what your despair is rooted in, we can all sympathize with this woman from Luke, because while her illness has a physiological expression. Luke is telling us that what ails her is a cosmological disorder, which is all a really fancy way of saying that what she needs healing from, just like the rest of us, is sin. In the 4th and 16th centuries, St. Augustine and Martin Luther really ran with this description of sin that was inspired by this passage. They said that humanity's struggle with sin is summarized for us in the image of this woman or the image of a man, that what it means to be human, to be imperfect and prone or even consumed with sin itself is to be in curvatus in se, is to be turned or curved in upon ourselves, unable to see or love or learn from God or from anyone else. And Augustine and Luther, they weren't concerned with talking about sin in a new way to sort of round off the edges of the S word to make sure that people didn't run for the gates as soon as they said it. They were simply trying to write about sin in a way that spoke truly to the experiences of their students, of their parishioners, of their friends, of their loved ones. They were trying to describe sin as being curved in on ourselves. They were describing sin as being this way in which we are looking always down at ourselves rather than looking up and out. And I think this honest description of it is one that really hits home when it comes to our relationships. A few days ago, Courtney and I took our daughter, Sarah Grace, out to Riverside for dinner. It was a great moment with the three of us together, but it didn't last uninterrupted for very long. After we'd sat down for about five minutes, a middle-aged family sat down right next to us, and the mother immediately engaged us in conversation, and she was intent on talking about baby sign language. 
and how important it was that we teach Sarah Grace baby sign language. And she began to list and give examples of the 300 different signs that her children knew when they were Sarah Grace's same age. Sarah Grace knows one sign, but honestly, we lie when we tell people she knows one sign. And I truly mean no offense to any of you baby signing enthusiasts, but I truly just got really bored with the conversation, and so did my daughter. So we both checked out pretty quickly. Thankfully, we have a pretty similar set of interests and similar attention spans, so while Courtney was kindly continuing to listen to this woman, we turned away from the stranger lady, we ate some more french fries, and bobbed our heads back and forth to ACDC Hell's Bells that had just come on over the speaker. Maybe you can picture a conversation or an incident or a a series of conversations in your life when you're not actually listening to the person sitting across from you, but instead you're waiting for your turn to talk. Or perhaps you're trying to keep some really good eye contact so you can convince them that you're listening, but you're really just trying to soak up the juicy gossip that you can hear one booth over. Listening is really difficult. Listening's difficult because we're so often curved in on ourselves and on our own interests and immediate desires. Relationships are difficult. They're difficult because of sin, because of the ways that we're turned in on ourselves and the despair that comes from only resting our eyes on ourselves and trying to find hope in a mirror when we actually, from time to time, can't even stand to look at ourselves. Relationships can also be hard sometimes because we don't see a fool in the mirror, but we see a hero when we think that we are really in charge and we begin to act from a place of self-righteousness in a way that can crush the mercy and the grace and the understanding that are so necessary to hold our relationships together. A second and really important detail from this passage from Luke is that this incident takes place on the Sabbath. Like the other Sabbath scenes in the gospel, Jesus heals someone on a Saturday, on the final day of the week, that from the time of Moses in the Old Testament had been an extremely important religious and cultural identity marker, something that all Jews observed who took themselves seriously, and in doing so, they would rest and abstain from work and abstain from even healing like this or participating in it. And so Jesus, once again in this scene, he angers the Pharisees, he angers the temple leaders who are truly turned in on themselves, who think self-righteously that they have it all together so much that all they need to do or ought to do is rest They don't need healing themselves. This woman, she might, but not when we're around. Jesus looks at them and he says, You fools, you unbind your donkey on the Sabbath and lead it to the water. Why shouldn't I unbind this woman from her sickness and sin and lead her to truth and to love and to me? Why shouldn't I unbind you? In Luke's story for us today, Jesus is showing us that the Sabbath is truly about death and not rest. Sabbath isn't a rest from these things that frustrate and scare and weigh us down. 
Sabbath isn't an opportunity for us to get better and to find ways to improve. And thank God this is the case because the last thing that I need when I'm feeling completely overwhelmed to the extent that I've escaped into myself and found myself an even sharper sensation of despair at times, the last thing that I need is for someone to tell me to just rest, to spend a little bit more time with myself. No, what I need in circumstances like that is for someone to enter stage left, to take up all of the things that ail me and feel like they're wrecking my life and my relationships. What I need is for someone to take up all the sin in his hands and destroy it. Days before Jesus would be killed himself, Jesus calls on this woman bent and bound up for over 18 years in anger and pain. And Jesus looks at her. He reaches out to her and touches her and he kills the old her, the old Adam, the old Eve. Just days before Jesus will die in a tomb on a holy Saturday, Sabbath day, Jesus uses another Sabbath day to release a woman from bondage and give us all a foretaste of the day when he will die for all of us, when he will forgive and redeem all of us. The death of the Sabbath is the death of our self-righteousness, the death of the notion that we have anything at all to do with our own salvation. Instead, we wander the world like this woman, curved in on ourselves, and yet, and yet Jesus calls us to him, And yet Jesus calls us by name. Jesus reaches out and Jesus heals us through his grace and fixes our gaze upon him, upon the way, the truth, and the life, upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, upon Jesus Christ, our Savior, hanging on a cross. On that cross, Jesus was opened up to the world so that we might be set free and opened up from our bondage, from our sin, and from ourselves. On the cross, all of the darkness, all of the sin, all of the brokenness, all of the despair and the reliance on drugs, alcohol, money, sex, arrogance, pride, you name it, all of that was put to death on the cross. All of that was wiped clean by the blood of the Lamb, And replaced with the cloak of his righteousness. With the status of his chosen and beloved one. It was replaced with the relationship of grace and mercy and hope. In someone other than ourselves. In some destiny and in some place other than that which we can create on our own. Because of the cross our hope need not be focused down and curved in upon ourselves or upon our community or upon our country or upon anyone or anything in the whole world other than the God who created us, other than the God who redeemed us and the God who sustains us. Amen.